You're now listening to the Black Variant on RNC Radio. You know what I'm saying? Issue 26 of the Black Variant. You already know the Black Variant boys are back. You know, it's just, it's X, you know what I'm saying? The exile, you know, the renegade, the Ronin. You know, I might be on my ne- my next account this week. You never know. <laughs> you never know. From the shadows. Yeah. <laughs> Running the League of Shadows would call me Exile Ghoul. You feel me? I'm the guy, <laughs> Van Rick, ladies and gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? SSID. Yes, Double sir. underscore N, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm gonna have like have like down pat, like hold on. Uh, yeah, one day, one day, bro. <laughs> We're gonna get it right. But this is a very, very special issue of the Black Variant. We are joined by the illustrious, the great Brian Edward Hill, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yes, Brian, sir. make some noise, my guy. Yo, what it yes, do? we got the guy. We out here. Hold, I'm gonna edit my avatar. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna upload my, my channel here while we talk. Yeah, yeah. How, how's everybody doing? Very good. Good, good um, man. I Glad to have you on. Yeah, I think this is the second time I've talked to you. We talked about this time last year too, so it's nice to hear you again, man. All right, on. Yeah, there you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this one up here, there, so so people know old school. Well, it's like it's about to be like, I thought this was be like a deep cut rock hill. There you go. There you ah, go. That's old school hill. The chopper. Hill right <laughs> With the heat poster and the toy shotgun. Yo, it's, it's, only, it's only right. It's only right. It's real. Since 95, <laughs> real. It's yeah, only right, Draco, man. I feel you okay. Yeah, I was real before Black President. Yeah. They- <laughs> <laughs> that's a fact, man. Yo, but before we get started, man, how, how are you holding up during this quarantine? Like, Man, well, I'm crazy, so... um. I'm all right, man. You know, like, <laughs> man. I, my, my life has been a long, long journey through extremity, you know? Right. Like, so, I don't know, man. You just got to deal with it. Like, it's really what it, you make it, right? You know? Kind of, like, I mean, look, to be honest, like, when you're a brother in America, you, you used to, you know, walking uphill just to go yeah. get some groceries, right? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you just got to factor it in. You know, it's just, it's just another thing to think about. But I, I, what, I, what I'm seeing is you have a lot of people who never really had to think about things like mortality, you know, who never right. really had to think about safety and, and all that. And so it's, it's crushing them. But, you know, I think when you're, when you're, you know, when you're black in America, man, like, I, I never can just go outside, just fancy free, right? Yeah, There's always yeah. part of my mind dedicated to making sure that I don't get killed, making sure that I'm not scaring this person, making sure I am scaring this person, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. You got to press the every once in a while, I feel you. Yeah, there's just so much, right? So I don't know, man. I just, I've just kind of, you know, dealt with it and, and moved, uh, moved into the future the best way I can. Yeah, man. It's like I feel like yo, as black people, we always like have wired a little differently when it comes to like facing adversity, man. You know, it's all I about adjustments. So, I, you know, I I think so. I think I think you just wired that way, right? Like, and I think a lot of the conflict that we get right now is you have people that were kind of living life on autopilot because it could. Right. Um, they can afford now it. They can afford to. <laughs> right, and so it's like whoa, whoa, right? Big shock, you know, um, and. <laughs> like the w- the threat of being treated like a minority in this country is enough to make some people really really angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as you can see. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, no, don't do it like that. Don't do it like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's 
you know, to be honest, fellas, like I've done remarkably well uh, this year. You know, yeah. I had one of my one of my better years just between comics and film and television, and so I'm grateful for that. Uh, and I try to help where I can, um, but it it I feel a little disconnected, you know, in a, in a lot of ways because I'm I'm grateful to have resources. You know, I can yeah. hold myself up and get the comforts I need and the rest of it. I think about a lot of people who are really really hurting right now. You know. Mm -hmm. Like if yeah. you just started your restaurant, you know. Yeah, I was thinking about those people who just got in the business around like March, February, and just then... got in the business. You yeah, know? I, I read something in the Atlantic yesterday about uh, I think the article was titled uh, "What Black Lives Matter Has Accomplished," and it said as many as forty percent of black-owned businesses closed during the pandemic. Yeah, right. but um, how how has it changed your like your creative process though? Being in quarantine, like um, I mean, not. Not too much. I mean, honestly, I probably took on more work than I would have taken on uh, had I not been in like, you know, quarantine, uh, not been doing the distancing thing and staying home most of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I would have had, you know, more time spending recreation and other things. But now not really doing too much of that. So I have a lot of time to work. So yeah. uh, I've taken on more projects than I normally would. Um, you know, I've been able to to be a little introspective. I'm introspective by nature anyway. Right, <laughs> right. I think, right. <laughs> I think a lot of writers just are, right? Because writing is the external process of thinking, right? Um, and there's there was really no way to write without being thoughtful, right? So I think so for a writer, you're constantly living back through your memories. You're constantly thinking about your dreams. You're constantly thinking about possible futures, right? You're you're sort of, um, I mean, oftentimes you're not only rooted in the present, right? You're either in the past or you're 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 in the future. But um, because you know uh, that's the nature, I think, of being a writer as a life discipline. When you are left alone in a situation like this pandemic, I think you journey inward. And uh, I have, uh, through my work, been able to explore other parts of myself and figure myself out. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, I've been able to kind of make some lemonade out of this shit. But, yeah, uh, man. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, but I can't, I can't speak to the universal quality of that. You know, I, I, I do understand that it is difficult for a lot of folks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to ask you though, before, before yeah. we get into comic stuff, cause we can talk about that all day. I want to just talk about like growing up in St. Louis. How, how is, how is St. Louis, man? Like I always went to places I always wanted to go to. But just never, you know, found the time to. Okay, we'll see. It's it's okay. Okay, so to answer this question honestly, right, I have to sort of look through the prism of memory. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you were to ask me when I was in St. Louis, how was St. Louis? I would say fine, right? right? Like it was, you know, I was in a working class suburb. Um, we did not have a lot of money. Uh, and there were some really lean years, but most of my my childhood and my adolescence, I was, you know, in a relatively safe environment, right? Mm -hmm. And I was a scholarship kid to a fancy pants high school. I was probably the brokest kid there. Um, you know, you find out those things when you're 16, and people start getting their sweet 16 presents, and you're like, oh man, I'm broke. Yeah, they damn, they just got a Benz, and I'm just, yeah, they just know, got like a Dodge Viper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> their car. Right. Like it's, you know, oh, it's spring break. They're going to go overseas together. Right. Right. right? I'm just going to go. I'm going to couch and play PlayStation or something. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to play someone else's PlayStation because I couldn't really <laughs> afford one. Right. Right. So, right. Um, so I had a lot of shame issues around poverty. Uh, you know, um, I had a lot of um, 
imposter syndrome kind of issues. Uh, you know, it's difficult when you're the only person that looks like you in an environment. You're the only person that comes from a deep working class background in that environment. You know, so I had some adolescent issues, but uh, I would have said at the time it was fine. Now, upon leaving St. Louis and living in New York, I lived in New York City for uh, off and on probably the better part of like 13 years. And I've been out in L.A. for about seven or eight. Right. So in comparison, St. Louis is terrible. (laughs) Right. I didn't know how terrible it was when I was there. It was sort of like, you know, you know, you're born with a shackle around your ankle, you know, chained to like this this big rock. But you don't know what it's like to not have the rock. You just know that it just, you know, it's hard to walk. It's just there, right? Like there. Yeah. And then you leave and you go somewhere else and you're like, oh, wait a minute. That was a really difficult place to be. You know, so when I went to NYU for um, film school undergrad, uh, I was really blown away by the city. Just just about, you know, I was blown away by like the, the way that people could live out their difference in a way that was difficult for me in St. Louis. Right. Right. I wasn't interested in the things other people were interested in, by and large. Um, and I was a decent athlete, so I played some sports. But when you're at a when you're a scholarship kid at a school and you're playing sports, it feels a lot like being, you know, the entertainment. You yeah. know, like, boy, that boy can run with that watermelon, can't he? <laughs> Look at him <laughs> run. Look at him go. Look at him go. Look at him go. You think he stole something? <laughs> you know, so there, there's a little bit of that, right? So I, I kind of walked away from that stuff. Um, it was interested in writing and maybe theater and, and you know, photography and, and those kinds of things. And there was no one like me in St. Louis. Not that I'm like some beautiful and unique snowflake. It's just that St. Louis is a place where you go to high school, you graduate, you go to a, you know, quote unquote, nice school, nice college. You get married soon after, you have some kids, you know, and you rinse and repeat, right? Like that's yeah. what St. Louis existence was. And I was like, well, I don't want to do any of that. That doesn't sound cool. <laughs> so um, when I got to New York, I met so many people that were just so varied, yeah. you know, um, and and they could live that way, you know, and, and they didn't have to kind of search for a place to be because you could go into any Starbucks and you would just see different tribes of people that were all into the same thing. And it was easier to kind of realize yourself to discover yourself. So, so yeah, so, you know, I, in retrospect, uh, I have grown a pretty negative view of the city, right? Like, um, and then with its, you know, its political problems and its racial problems, again, these were just, you know, you grow up on mercury, you're just used to it being hot. Right. You know, you don't realize how hot it is until you get to a different planet and you're like, oh, wait a minute, the sun doesn't kill you here. Oh, yes. It's a little different here, right? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Oh, okay. This is different, right? This is a different thing. Um, So, yeah, not to disparage the city or the people there. I mean, there are good people there. And like any other place, it's, you know, your experience is going to be largely defined by the people you interact with. But um, uh, I think in a lot of ways, getting out of the Midwest and getting to a coast was necessary for my sanity. Yeah. How, do you, how What was your first walk from New York moment? Like, I feel like everybody that moves here has this moment <laughs> where like, oh, shit, I, I'm in New York now. Oh, man. I'm trying to. I mean, I had a lot of them because uh, <laughs> I was a pretty naive, you know, uh, kind of roly poly kid back in those college days. Right. Yeah. So, um, OK, the most New York thing. Right. 
was when I was uh, I was having coffee with my friend Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Miller, uh, he's a good friend of mine. He's like family. He's an Irish kid. Grew up with him in St. Louis. We both went to NYU together, and we were in film school. So and Ben was one of those guys. He liked to go around and see like little nooks and crannies. You know, he was a <laughs> he, he would always get like the the something something guide to New York City, and he'd want to go on a walking tour and do all of that stuff. So I'd right. pal along with him. Uh, so we're in this coffee shop somewhere. Um, I think we're in the West Village, and guy comes in. You know, he's probably like late forties, early fifties. Has a gray, like shark skin suit, um, with the uh, double-breasted lapel. Right, hair slicked back. Uh, might even have like a flower in his lapel or something, just to be right, full right. on like corny. Right. <laughs> and he walks to the manager of the coffee shop and is like, "Hey, you know, is, uh, is the owner here?" And the guy's like. Oh, no, he's not here. I can take a message. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just tell him that, you know, I stopped by and, you know, here's a number he should call. You know, this, you know, this neighborhood, you know, sometimes things can happen and we hate for something to happen to, you know, this place. Seems like a nice place, you know. And so, like straight out of Batman year one. Like, yeah, and I'm like, exactly. Hey, ben and I were looking at this and we're like, oh, man, he's like shaking this guy down. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is extortion live. Carmine Falcone right here. Exactly. Right? <laughs> like, I didn't realize people were actually like this. Yeah. You know? That's really something you only see in movies until it happens in front of you. It's like, oh, man, this is like a mob shakedown. This is a protection racket. So like, quick question. Like, as a writer, like, in that moment, like, this, this is some shit I would write. Like, yeah. you, know, like, you hear this thing, like, oh, man, you know, you, you know, can't write that that's not believable and you're like no but see i just lived through that 10 minutes ago (laughs) it happens (laughs) um so yeah so like that was i think the most unique new york experience but um you know if i were to kind of classify new york in terms of experiences you know that was a city where i was either breaking a heart or getting my heart broken seemingly every 48 hours yeah that's how it seems that's how it was just like you would literally fall in love every time you walked outside because you would just see an impossible human being and whatever human being you were into, you know, women, men, you know, whatever, like kind of type you would have because there's so many people in New York, right? You would just see, in my case, it was a her, right? So you would just see her every day in a different guise, like, you know, behind the counter here in the grocery store there over there, right? On the subway here. Like, yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, and being a person that was pretty socially buttoned up in high school, um, you know, it was not, you know, people from my high school, they were like, oh, man, we thought you were cool. And I'm like, y'all didn't act like it, though. <laughs> you know, seemed like it right here. <laughs> That's not how I remember it. I remember not having many places to sit. I love I the revisionist like, history on the high school oh, experience. It's so strong. <laughs> you're everybody. You know, it's funny. You start writing a television show and suddenly you're everybody's best friend, right? Yeah. Um, funny how that works. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, like that, I mean, that was my main kind of like takeaway uh, in New York was like this, the kind of, you know, falling in love, getting your heart broken, writing a poem about it, writing a song about it, you know, warming it up again. You know, the first long form piece of writing I did was a novel. Well, it was a screenplay that I turned into a novel. That was about a girl. <laughs> I feel like, isn't it always, it always boils down to a girl. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like over time, as you, as you grow older, you realize that you're just a genre. <laughs> you're, not, you're not, you know, you're, you know, you're not new, right? You're, you're not some 
unique creation. Like you just you're just a genre piece off the assembly line. You know, yeah. I remember going back to my old high school uh, some years ago. Um, I, I mean, I rarely go back there, but this was one of those Anakin going back to Tatooine moments. So I did, <laughs> and um, I remember seeing in the little courtyard area because it was a private high school, so you know, much more like a college campus than anything else. And I remember uh, seeing a group of kids that were just like me and my friends. Like wow. I could literally see, oh, I'm that one. <laughs> that's <laughs> me. That's me over there. Yeah. That's so and so, and that's so and so, and I bet you that that version of me has a crush on her, right? Because <laughs> that's who I would have had a crush on, you know. And it, and so you realize, like, oh man, you know, you're you're a genre. So I was that genre of New York writer that was, um, you know, running around and and having a bunch of experiences and then idealizing them in my work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to carry it on that way. Yeah. Oh, man. So um, I want to talk about you. How did you get into co- writing comics? Like, how did you make that transition into doing that? Well, I was always into comics, right? Um, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I was, I was deep into comics because my dad died when I was about seven. And I got mm-hmm. into Batman comics when that happened because Bruce's parents were dead and I could identify, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that was cancer that killed him. It wasn't like some guy in an alleyway got him or something, you know? <laughs> so um, I guess if I was Batman, I should have been a doctor, but that's for smart people. So I was a writer instead. And um, yeah, so I was always into them, you know? And I never really thought about writing them, honestly, because I didn't know how you wrote comics. I didn't even know until I was probably 17 that separate people were writing and drawing them. Right, right. You know? Though just one shot, like, you know. Well, because you read Frank Miller, right? And he yeah. drew it and he wrote it. Yeah. So I just kind of thought that's what it was, you know? Or like, you know, when I'd see Dave McKean and Grant Morrison in Arkham Asylum, I didn't know who did what. I wasn't really thinking about it that way. This is before social media, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is back when, if you wanted any sort of commentary on comics, maybe you were reading a magazine called Wizard. Or something, you know. Deep cut. Deep cut. Deep cut, right? (laughs) So magazines used to be these periodicals. (laughs) Came out weekly. Words and you read them. Uh, So, so yeah. So you know, they're always kind of part of my life. You know, I was into them. And then uh, when I went to film school, um, I you know I I I wanted to be a filmmaker, right? I was uh, uh, in love with like James Cameron's work and I was discovering Michael Mann at the time and, you know, a bunch of other things. And so that's kind of where my head was, but I would always think about maybe writing a comic book or, 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 you know, trying to find a way into that world. And um, through a a writer mentor friend of mine, I got quoted in a book by Chip Kidd about Batman toys that DC comics published. It's called Batman collected. And I don't even know if it's still in print, but I have a little quote uh, on one of the first pages of that book. And um, that got me an uh, invitation to DC Comics. So this is back when they had a New York office. And I went over there and fell in love with the whole thing. Still had no idea how you broke in. Right. So I didn't understand any of that side of the business until I graduated uh, NYU. And I became good friends with an, uh, an artist, a storyteller named Nelson Blake II. Uh, and Nelson and I have done a couple of projects um, together. The book called Romulus. Um, and, you know, we've done an issue of a DC thing here, like a Marvel thing there. Like we've worked together um, and I've known him for a long time going on 20 plus years, really. Uh, so Nelson being an artist and his friend Vincent, who was also an artist and they both became good friends of mine, 
they introduced me to people like Afua Richardson, uh, 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 Christian Davari, you know, um, ultimately a guy named Walter McDaniel, who was a big artist in the 90s, who had a, uh, what they called a studio, which is really a collection of artists that were kind of living and working in the same space in Queens. And um, uh, they needed a writer over there. So I became the writer, really the in-house writer. And that's where I was living for a while, kind of in that artist uh, environment, in a studio environment. And then I met more comic book professionals. I met Joseph Village during that time period. Um, other people that were, you know, well-versed in how these things worked. Um, and that taught me, oh, this is an editor. This is what a writer is. This is script format and all of that. So that's really when I got interested in it. But it still was a hard nut to crack. I had written a Dolph Lundgren movie way before I ever got a comic book job. I wanted to ask you about Dolph. How is Dolph, man? Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's, I mean, he's, he's amazing, right? Like, that was, that was one of the more amazing. I mean, that was the experience that taught me I could do it. It's as, you know, just a, as a detour here since we're talking Dolph. Yeah. When I wrote that movie, it's called The Russian Specialist for anyone listening, and it's not a great movie, but, you know, I wrote it in three days, and Dolph directed it, and so it has a special place in my heart, right? Uh, and um, the reason I had to write it in three days was Dolph and I had spent four months working on another script that the producers ultimately threw away, and I had to write something. I, I got to Bulgaria. They were shooting in Bulgaria. I got there on Friday afternoon. And they were going to shoot on Monday, so I had to deliver an entirely new script by Monday. Oh, but <laughs> uh, going back to the moment, when I was working on the other script that I thought we were going to make, Dolph flew me out so I could uh, write with him in his uh, kind of palatial estate in Spain, Marbella, Spain. Uh, had a beautiful like a villa, I suppose. I'm, I'm not sure the name of it, but beautiful grounds in Spain. And this is the first time I'd been out of the country on a business thing ever. I mean, I, I had a cousin, cousin stationed in Stuttgart, um, Germany, you know, when I was a little kid. And so I, I went over there for like a couple of weeks. But that was just as like a little kid. Right. Um, it's the first time I've been out of the country for like work. So I get there and, you know, I'm standing on the beach and I'm looking across the water and I see the rock of Gibraltar kind of peeking up out of the water. Right. And. I, I thought about, wow, like you're here because you made something up, you know, like yeah. you had an idea. Cause I had gotten there because of a script that I had written that he liked and we didn't ultimately wind up doing that one, but that led me to this and that and the other thing. So the process started with an idea I had that I wrote in a legal pad basically. Wow. And that, you know, realizing that led me to standing on a beach in Marbella, Spain, looking at the rock of Gibraltar. <laughs> with Dolph Lundgren at that. That really fortified me and gave me the belief that I can do it. I mean, I've always been one of those people that's like, if you can do it one time, you can do it again. Right. Like, once I do something once, all my fear goes away. Mm -hmm. I might be terrified before I do it the first time. Once I do it the first time, oh, it's a wrap. Now, now we're just talking scale. Yeah, right? I'm in the we're door now. <laughs> we're just talking scale now, right? How, so if how I, big can I do this shit? You feel me? Right. Exactly. Like, if I cut a track and it's hot, I'm like, okay, I just need to keep cutting hot keep, tracks. Keep going, yeah. <laughs> I just got it, right? So I'm just going to keep doing mixtapes, you know? And I would just be like, I'd, I'd be like 50 if I was a rapper. I'd just be like, putting them out. <laughs> you know, I'm going to put the tape out, man. You know, I'm going to put it out the trunk. Man. You know, Could make it hot, man. 
Make it hot. <laughs> you know, I would just be that dude, right? Yeah. So that's what, um, you know, that, that really fortified me kind of going forward into the future. Um, but yeah, I had already done that before I'd written a comic book, right? I had a career before I was a comic book writer. You know, I had sold a couple screenplays or something before I was really working in comics. Um, so it was very strange. You know, I, I thought that it would be the easier door to open. And then maybe from there, being on a shelf, having a little momentum, I'd be able to kind of worm my way into a screenplay sale or a TV thing or right. what have you. But it worked completely opposite. I mean, I had, <laughs> I think I was in the Writers Guild for having, you know, sold like a couple of screenplays before I ever really wrote comics. And then by the time I was writing comics seriously, uh, like Postal, you know, I was doing um, an issue a month of that, right? So we did mm -hmm. about 24 of those. By the time I was doing that, I was writing movies left and right. You know, I was I was writing about two screenplays a year um, when when that was happening. Um, so it's it was weird. You know, it, it was sort of a weird way. that It's like once, once you caught your rhythm, it just kept going from there. It kept uh, accumulating from there, right? Yeah, I mean, and honestly, because I had another career, I didn't have to really chase comics. Right. You know, mm -hmm. like I could just kind of do things I thought were interesting and, you know, I, I could be a little relaxed about the networking of it all. Um, I mean, I found that like comics is a weird business and how people get work is weird in comics. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll just be honest, I don't think it's always a meritocracy. But I don't think anything in America is really a meritocracy. I think that you have to be good. You have to be good, but that's just where it starts. Yeah. You know, um, being good is no guarantee of success. Like, or I should say is you can't just be good at the craft. You have to be good at the talking. You have to be good at the listening. Yeah. You know, you have to be good at, uh, at recognizing opportunity. You have to be good at, if you're, if you're black, frankly, you gotta be good at making people comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, making them comfortable enough to hire you so you can play with their toys. Yeah. Uh, and those were lessons that I had to pick up along the way. Um, but uh, yeah, it was weird. I, you know, I, I, I do think that having some Hollywood credits was probably part of the reason why I was able to write comics. You know, um, uh, I think that had I not done any of that work, I'm not sure I would have gotten the opportunities I got. Mainly because when I started, you know, we were kind of post McDuffie, right? Mm -hmm. um, but like pre this this new influx of writers of color. So I was putting books down in this kind of weird nether period where it was like, I was out there, David Walker was kind of out there, but like we didn't have the, the kind of guaranteed space in the conversation that I think we have now, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was just, just sort of a strange time, but I really do think it was because, you know, you could look me up on the IMDB or something and, be like, okay, well, you know, he's, not, he's, he's done something. Read, so let's go. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's give him a chance. Give him a chance. You know? Speaking of uh, Dwayne McDuffie, how do you feel about Milestone coming back, man? Like X and I were really excited about that, hearing that at Fandom. How do How do you feel about that coming back? You know, well, you know, I'm really happy for the people that are happy. Honestly, yeah. um, uh, it's I know it means a lot to a lot of people. And it's always been just a weird question. Like, why is this not happening? Yeah. Like, like you have all these great days. Like it should yeah, be happening. No, especially, yeah. right? Like yeah. there's, there's really space in the cultural conversation for this. Um, so I'm most happy for people that are, are 
pleased about it and excited about it. You know, as for the books themselves and the characters themselves, uh, you know, I I am drifting a little away from superhero in my imagination. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've been doing it such a long time for yeah. me. And I'm doing it everywhere. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm doing, I'm writing Titans. I'm in, you know, I'm in the third season of that, you know, and I'm, you know, and also Batman the Outsiders and this other thing and the other thing and the other thing. So I'm personally a little like, ooh, I need to write like a sexy drama or something. Yeah. <laughs> Just to change the palette a little yeah, bit, right? Man. Yeah. I'm eating shrimp every day, right? So, <laughs> you know, I might need a, like a tenderloin or something uh, right. for dinner cream spinach just to keep it different right yeah so so i you know content wise uh i'm not personally chomping at the bit for more um of that experience but i am very glad that it is coming back and uh i hope that it becomes a vehicle to break a lot of new names you know uh to give people the foundation they need to do um the the work i know that a lot of people out there can do yeah oh i just gotta talk about this before anything you have done such a great job with Batman and Outsiders. I had to say that. Phenomenal. Yo. Oh, thank you. X and I talk about it all the time. Like, you've done such a great job with that series, man. And especially Black Lightning. Like, it's probably one of my favorite iterations of Black Lightning it's in that book. And, like, what? how did it feel to see it on the shelves? Like, to see actually see your work, like, printed and people can go grab it and it's attainable. Like, how does that feel for you? Well, I tell you, man, that, that is, um, it's a, it's a hard thing to explain. Right. Yeah. Like when you grow up and you're saving a lot more money to buy comics. Uh, and then later on in life, you go to the same store you bought comics from and your work is in that store. Like that's a big full circle moment. Yeah. You know? um, mm-hmm. And it for me, it put to bed a lot of stress and anger and conflict and fear that I had. Mm-hmm. See, right now I'm in a place in my life where, you know, gratefully, I don't really have to do anything I don't want to do. That's the goal, honestly. <laughs> you, know, I, yeah. you, know, you know, we all have to work and, and, you know, I have to do things. But, you know, I can I can choose a little bit. And, and more importantly, I'm not worried anymore about being, quote unquote, real. Right. right. Like that was a huge pressure. You know, you're in your 20s and. 20s are turning into your late 20s, right? Edging into your early 30s. And you're like, when do I get real? <laughs> like, when, when does this become a punchline? Right, right, right. Like, at what point am I no longer ambitious and dedicated, but now I'm just a crazy person, right? <laughs> right. You know, like, where does that line uh, happen? Especially and as I, a creative too, right? Well, yeah, yeah. And, and look, you know, uh, oftentimes you are inadvertently pioneering, not because you want to be a pioneer, just because there aren't a lot of people like you doing what you want to do, right? right? So you just kind of wind up being, you know, kind of in that in that category, which means that everything is a little more headwind. You know, it's a little more, right? Not not enough to like stop you, but you know, it's like running with a parachute, right? Yeah. Like you can still run, but you got a parachute on, so it's going to be a little <laughs> harder sometimes. Yeah, uh, especially when the wind blows. Um, but yeah, like, so seeing that and going through that and then, you know, like writing Batman and, uh, um, you know, going through that stuff, like that put to bed a lot of the old conflicts, uh, and kind of helped me sort of balance myself, I think in a, in an interesting way. Um, you know, with Black Lightning, uh, 
I know Tony wasn't very happy with what I was doing from what I could see. Um, but I tried to honor like what, what Tony did with the character and also like kind of update him too. You know, I mean, look, he was created a long time ago and literally everything was different. Like if any of us were to journey into seventies America, it would look like America, but just that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's even hard to imagine culture back then, really, you know, the, the, in, in the context of what we know now. Mm-hmm. So I just want to update him a bit um, and uh, kind of put some meat on the bone with his emotions and explore who he was as a character, explore the nature of his power, you know, um, just kind of take the kind of inner journey with him that a lot of characters just haven't gotten in comics. Yeah. You know, like Batman has all the literary stuff, right? He's like the Hamlet of comics. Every actor wants to play him, you know, right. every writer has a Batman story they want to tell, but uh, with Black Lightning, you know, he has, hasn't really had that kind of journey. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm, uh, I was happy to be able to contribute some experience to it. Um, and only all those characters and try to do something a little different, you know, than what an outsider's experience would normally be. And certainly not something that felt like, oh, we're just going to cash this in because there's a television show we could put Batman in. You know, right, I want to do right. a little um, So... I know you say you've been kind of like, yeah, Larry on the superhero thing, but is there anybody else that you would want to write? Like, oh, you, well, given I mean, to me? you know, um, when I, when I say that, it's more like, I don't know about monthlies. Right. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. You know, with my schedule, right. Like mm-hmm. many series are always interesting to me because that sort of speaks to my life as a screenwriter, right? Finite story. Right. Um, so it's a little bit easier for me to manage, you know, look, I like Superman. Uh, and I wouldn't mind trying my hand uh, at that. Um, I don't know if John Constantine is a superhero, but I have a couple of those those stories in me somewhere. Characters like the Spectre. I would like to see that, honestly. <laughs> I mean, Constantine's certainly an asshole, so like, he, there's always a lot of him to explore, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, I, I find that kind of fascinating. Um, you know, on the Marvel side, a Hulk is always a character that I've gravitated towards. Um, you know, I mean, I... I had a little small little little stint inside of the X-Men. Um, yeah. Kind of satisfied what I wanted to get out of that. Um, Doctor Strange is probably a character that I could I could do something with. You know, so it's like, yeah, like, you know, if a character's complex um, and has that right combination of cool aesthetics and interesting ideas and, you know, room, right? You want room to explore. Right. Like, to be honest, I don't know how much more Batman I have in me at the moment. Because whenever I'm writing Batman, I always feel like I'm, you know, writing after like seven or eight amazing storytellers who have done seminal work, right? Right. And you're, where do I even, I mean, how many ways can I write I Am Vengeance? Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like, you know, like this, so you you sort of, I always have this voice in my head like, well, Frank did that better. You know, Scott did that better. Tom definitely did that better, right? So <laughs> it's so hard, man. <laughs> it's really hard to find like a new thing to do, right? Um, but like Katana, you know, I love writing Katana because she's all ceiling, right? There's no, yeah. you know, th- there isn't like a uh, here are the four issues of Katana that everyone should reference if they wanted to make anything, you know? Yeah. Um, so like that doesn't exist. Cassandra Kane. Um, I love a lot. Uh, I'd love to be able to really explore Duke Thomas in a yeah. self-contained, you know? So I think most of the Outsiders characters 
um, those are the ones I would answer with because I've been living with them, but I've been living with them in like the Fast and Furious version of it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's, it's not about superheroes, it's about family. It's about family, um, man. <laughs> you know, so it's a lot of like, you know, like one person says a thing, they say a thing, they say a thing, splash page, right? So like right. <laughs> you don't you don't get the the deep dive, you know. Like if I could do a six issue miniseries of just Jefferson and Tatsu, then I would totally do that. Right. Uh, <laughs> Because I feel like they would have the space. If I could do the same thing with Cassandra Kane and Duke, you know, or Lady Shiva and Katana teaming up to do a thing. Like, so, so yeah, so those are the kind of opportunities I'm looking for. And, and you'll probably see like drips and drabs of stuff like that coming out of me. But um, I wouldn't expect to see me sign on for a monthly book you know, in the near future. Right, right. Um, how's it? How is the right on Titans, man? Uh, X and I are big fans of the show, man, and can't wait for season three. To be honest with you, man. Especially after the some of the news that's coming out. So how is yeah. it uh, writing on the show, man? It's, you know, it's it's a weird thing, man. Like, um, and when the third season, when I started on Titans, uh, it was the second TV job I had. I did a season of Ash versus Evil Dead, uh, for uh, for Stars before I wound up going to Titans. And so it's, you know, in college terms, this is like my junior year of college. Yeah. Right. Now, <laughs> if you add in Evil Dead, this is my senior year yeah, of college. Yeah, right? yeah. So if you think about it in those terms, think about how different you were from being a freshman to being a senior. Oh, man. Complete, right? complete 180. Complete 180. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am, you know? Like, yeah. um, you know, I look at like season one and just think about, the thoughts I used to have, you know, <laughs> just like the way I would approach things. Right. It is like I'm totally different than that now. Right. Um, I mean, not totally different, but you know, you're evolved human from those, from that time. So, so that's, so that's a space that Titans takes up for me. It's like an evolutionary space. Like Titans took me through two different apartments. Yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, from the starting one to the nice one. <laughs> <laughs> the intro to the <laughs> you know, so like so it's it's a couple albums, you know what I mean? Like it, it's 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 it starts off with like reasonable doubt, you know, and I'm not the black album yet. Like blue, blueprint. <laughs> definitely on blueprint right now. Yeah. You know, definitely on some blueprint volume one right now. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's hard to separate the your experience of the show from your experience with life in that period. Right. Right. um, But it's, it's really, you know, enjoyable, man. I mean, it's, um, uh, working on a TV show is, is a real trip because you know, everything you write is going to get made. See, I don't always know that in screenwriting. Right. A lot of times you get hired to write a screenplay. It just sits on a shelf somewhere. It's like an idea that just at that point, you know, studios like, Oh yeah, we might make this at some point, but thank you. You know, we'll just bank it and have it, right? right? But with TV, you know, everything you write is going to get made. And you're working with the actors uh, in uh, like a, a very close way, right? And you instantly have to become professional, you know? Yeah. I remember the first time, was it season one? Yeah, season one might be the first time that I met, like, Minka Kelly. Right. And I brought up Minka because... Uh, our other actors are relatively new. Like Anna had come off of a season of 24, mm-hmm. um, that new season uh, um, that they that they did. And, you know, and Brendan had been in like Pirates of the Caribbean and some other things and all of that. Um, but, you know, 
Minka was, I guess, I'd seen most of Minka's work, right? Friday Night yeah, Lights and exactly. everything else, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's when you're like, oh, right, this is real. <laughs> yeah, this is this <laughs> something that's happening, yeah. <laughs> like, this is, this is re- and you're asking me a question, and you expect me to have the answer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh okay. So, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I it's, um, I've grown a lot, and um, I, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, where we're going with the show, and, and uh, I think, I think this is going to be a really interesting season. You know, I've seen the actors as well, kind of, you know, kind of grow. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to see how who they are gets more and more expressed inside of performance. And um, yeah, you know, it's a, it's, it's a cool experience for sure. Uh, so, so what would you, what, what advice would you give anybody that wants to get into writing period? Like any type of writing, like you have um, any tips you would give them? Like, um, yeah, like, you know, I can share a couple. Um, I think the the most important thing is you got to be in touch with your emotions. Right. You know, you got to be able to explore yourself uh, in like from various angles, right? Because when you're writing, you're everybody. Yeah. You're the hero. You're the villain. You're the you're the you know the female lead. You're the male lead. You are the child that gets saved, right? Like mm-hmm. you are kind of every character in that work, and um, to be able to know yourself from all those different points of view, I think is very important. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to be able to let yourself feel things. Uh, for me, writing is a very emotional experience. Um, pretty analogous to music, I would say. Yeah. You know, I write, write a little music in my spare time and the act of writing fiction, the act of writing music feel in an energetic way, very similar. Right. right. Um, so I think, do think you have to be in touch with those parts of yourself. Um, you know, that's more like the esoteric artistic side of it. Pragmatically, you know, you've got to be prolific. Right. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're starting to build a career as a writer, well, being a writer requires that you write. Um, it is not a career that you get by wanting. It's a career you get by doing. Right. And anyone who writes anything is a writer. So in one sense, the buy-in is pretty easy. You know, if you write a novel, you're a writer. You know, if you never write anything, then you're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so don't waste the energy talking about what you're going to write. Use that energy to actually write things. Right. And... Uh, explore other forms of writing. You know, write a stage play. Don't have to do a long one. Just do like a 20-minute one. But try mm-hmm. and see where it takes you. Like, if you want to write comic books, don't just write comic book scripts. Also write like a short story in prose. Right. And just see where that takes you. Try to write a screenplay. See where that takes you, right? Um, writers, we don't approach writing the same way artists approach drawing. And I think that's to our detriment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, artists have sketchbooks. Where they'll have things finished and unfinished. They're experimenting with different line weights, different compositional theories, you know, um, all types of like sort of different ways of seeing and doing. We as writers don't often do that. We tend to think like, well, we're going to write this project and we're going to finish it and it's going to be the only thing. And we're gonna... Yeah, that, <laughs> yes, you got to build your portfolio. But at the same time, play, you right. know, like if you just want to put down a couple scenes. Just put down a couple scenes. It doesn't have to be a finished thing. See what you learn about it. Um, 
you know, um, you know, and and just get into the practice of expressing yourself through your your craft. Right. So if you feel something really strongly, use that emotion and express yourself through your craft with it, right? Like if Trump said something that made you really mad, don't just be mad. I mean, vote. But beyond <laughs> that, you know, like put something down on paper. Right. It doesn't have to be about the thing. Just like see like and kind of and always ask yourself questions. Why am I mad? Well, I'm mad because I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Why am I scared? You can explore that. Yep. Right. There's a story in that. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, you know, if, if like heartbreak is an excellent way to start writing. You know, like uh, a longing is an excellent place to start, you know, when you're when you're when you're working on a project. So if you're looking for inspiration, try to find your inspiration in those things. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, so like, yeah, I think it's mastery only comes from constant uh, kind of interfacing with the craft, right? Just sort of learning it and trying it out like martial arts or something, you know, you just got to spar a lot and you figure out how you like to fight. Yeah. So I would tell writers, I do tell writers that remove the pressure from yourself to have the thing you're working on be the thing mm-hmm. because you never know what the thing is going to be. I got a lot of work out of a screenplay I wrote that I hate. <laughs> I wrote, wrote in three days. <laughs> the worst thing that I wrote that I've ever written. Right. But people dig it. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, far from me to judge. Right. Cool. But you never know what's going to be the thing. Right. So if you keep the spirit of play, then it's easier to be prolific. And if you're more prolific, then it's easier to achieve mastery. And mastery is ultimately what's going to give you a career. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank thank you so much, Brian, man. This has been this has been great, man. Oh, right on. Good. I'm glad. Oh, man. This is great, man. How you feeling, X? <laughs> uh, I got a couple questions for you, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, where I want to start? Titans. So, like, Titans is a cool show. And I want to, like, without you losing your job or anything like that, because I don't want to see a black man unemployed during the pandemic. What can you tell us most about season three without getting you in trouble? Oh, season three is the third season. Oh, man, there you go. Uh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, like, I feel like Red Hood in season three, right? Is that something, like, you've been waiting to explore? Is Red Hood, like, as a character, interest you like that? Well, let's see. Speaking in uh, President Obama vagaries here. Um, <laughs> Well, you see, so uh, anytime you're working on a show, <laughs> and the show is based on a book that, that you read and with characters you like, you're always looking for ways to put those characters into the work. That's spot on Obama. That's right? hilarious. So, so I mean, I mean that, but that's really true, right? Like, you know, look, there's a huge universe of characters. And, you know, I mean, going back to like the Wolfman stuff, all the way up to, you know, what's going on, you know, Red Hood and the Outlaws and all that, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many characters um, that you want to get to, you know, and, and we don't always know which ones we're going to get to and how and how we're going to find our way there. But it's always a joy to, you know, to work on a character that's, that's you know, you're bringing something new to life, right? So um, uh, it's challenging because you are kind of, having to breathe life, three-dimensional life into a character that means a lot to a lot of people. But Yeah, especially Red Hood, man. <laughs> it's been the challenge on um, kind of all the characters, you know, and so right. um, 
uh, you know, I can tell you I'm I'm a huge fan of Kern Walters, the uh, the young actor that uh, plays Jason Todd has played Jason Todd in season one and two of. Titan. He's great, man. <laughs> um, and he's such a workhorse, man. I mean, the, the the kid just likes to work. You know, he's very very serious about his craft. Um, everyone really is. I mean, Brenton is. Everyone is, right? So, um, yeah, that makes it easier, you know. And at this point, honestly, I think more about wanting to give the actors who have become my friends now. Um, the best work that I can give them, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really what I think about when, I, when I'm working on Titans, is I think about the human beings that have to bring this to life. Um, mainly because I grew up on the comics and I write comics. So that stuff is always fluent with me. Right. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, like if someone, if, like if Matt Reeves were to call me today and be like, Brian, I need a sequel to The Batman, I'd have one for him in like 24 hours. I haven't seen the script to The Batman. I don't know anything about it, just the trailer that we all knew. And a friend of mine called me and they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I think the story is probably this, 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 and then that and that and that, the other thing, and that's the other thing. Right. And uh, they're familiar with the production and they were like, how did you get that all right? you know i'm like neo with this man it is ones and zeros man like you see a woman in a red dress i just see numbers Um, so the comic book aspects of it aren't the challenging thing the main thing is like okay how how can i um through the vision of of our showrunner greg walker uh bridge this character to the human being that's going to play them in a way that's going to be Fun for them to do, challenging for them to do, fun to watch, right. challenging to watch. You know, so those are the things that you really think about more, more most of the time. Right. Um, Batman: The Outsiders, mm. issue sixteen. Listen, yeah. <laughs> listen. Jefferson Pierce facing off Rachel Ghoul. Rachel Ghoul says, "I'm going to end everything you will ever love." Right. Mm-hmm. And Jefferson Pierce looks in this man in the face and says, "I believe you." Mm-hmm. What into what went into that moment? I need to know. Oh, well, like obviously the Dark Knight Returns, you know what I'm saying, moment right there. But I want to know what went into that to give that to Jefferson, you know? Well, I mean, it was always the goal of mine to push Jefferson more into um, closer to the the Trinity, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Because he's a character that has elemental power. You know, we're talking about electromagnetic power, right? Mm -hmm. Like. Um, especially now with the kind of metahuman aspects of him um, that are different than kind of his initial sort of creation with the, uh, where it was more technology than now, um, there's, who knows what the limit of that power is, you know? Mm-hmm. So it always seemed like he should be a character that's standing next to Green Lantern and Clark and Diana. Right. You know? <laughs> because he is that powerful, right? Uh, but in order, I think, to to do that, he needs to be on the radar of more powerful villains. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so uh, the moment I knew I wanted to use uh, Ra's al Ghul, I wanted to, to make it clear to Jefferson and the reader that once you dance with Ra's al Ghul, the music never stops. <laughs> right? Like, you're in this now. And you now get his attention. You know? Um and there's a there's a cost to that, right? And that's kind of what Bruce does when he brings people into his world. Um, is you're also going to get seen by his enemies, and they're going to have completely unique relationships, 
right. uh, mm-hmm. than they do to Bruce. So that, that moment in issue 16 is really Rachel Ghoul saying, we're going to put Batman aside for a second. And let's talk about you and me. Yeah. <laughs> let's get into it, right? I want to make sure you're clear that by getting in my way, you now become something I have to deal with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, are you clear? And Jefferson's like, yeah, I kind of got that from the beginning. You know? So, like, so like, it's like essentially he's like, let's get into some gangster shit. And like, and Jeff Black Lightning's like, all right, bet. And like, blast him off the building. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that's like the 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 end of the beginning, right? But mm-hmm. it's just the beginning, right? right. Like, and, you know, I don't know where they want to take Black Lightning or Rachel Ghoul from this point on, but um, I certainly think that if you were to go to, like, I don't know if they still have the who's who or whatever, but if you go to the who's who of Black Lightning, known antagonist, Rayshaw Ghoul. Rayshaw Ghoul, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, and so I would anticipate at some point in the future, Black Lightning is going to have a Rayshaw Ghoul problem that has nothing to do with Batman. Right. <laughs> Rayshaw has a little more time on his hands. I'm fresh from the Lazarus pit. Oh, that's right. School teacher. <laughs> <Yeah>. Rayshaw <laughs> find a way, man. <laughs> yeah, so that was really... Um, one of the goals I wanted, uh, I had in mind for Outsiders was to bridge Jefferson to characters that are outside of his normal sphere, right? Mm-hmm. So like Lady Shiva, for instance, you know, the idea that now he knows Lady Shiva. What does that turn into? I don't know. But Lady Shiva seems to be a person that will kind of show up in your apartment when she wants to and have a request, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so he's in that world now, you know? Um, now he has his friendship with Katana. Uh you know, it's a it's a friendship that has subtext, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, neither one of them really knows what to do with that subtext. Uh, but I think it's interesting. Um, uh, and so, so yeah, so that was really about that. Like for me, it, it was never going to be about oh, we're going to have eight pages of Rachel Ghoul, a superpower Rachel Ghoul fighting Black Lightning. No, it didn't seem like that was where that wanted to go. It was almost more of like a western. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the interesting thing is everything that happens until the guns are drawn. And then once the guns are drawn, you just want a couple like, cow, cow, cow. yeah, you want to see a fly, you want to see some fire. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put it back and get it back into the holster. Right. So that was more of uh, what I thought those two characters deserved. Uh, and I mean, and honestly, I wanted to engage some of the stuff that Tony was saying, but I wanted to engage it through Rachel Ghoul, you know, yeah. um, I know Tony had some issues about him being a support character and, and all of this, and, and I and I didn't pay a lot of attention to it, um, but I paid enough attention to it uh, to kind of know where he was coming from and kind of understand the nature of those those ideas. So I was like, okay, well, that's interesting to give Rachel Ghoul a version of that argument, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and to have Light Lightning assert why he doesn't see it that way, and if he doesn't see it that way, it probably isn't that way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that moment when Rachel when when Black Lightning kind of you know lightning slaps Rachel Google off the top of that building, uh, that to me is Black Lightning saying, "Yeah, I know, I know <laughs> it's gonna be a thing now." <laughs> made made no enemy, that. man. I know. Go ahead. You know, it's like that old press conference from like a lot of years ago when some guy was just like, "Look, you know, just bring your stuff." He's <laughs> 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 just like, "Listen, you know, look." You know, you're gonna do what you're gonna do, man. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. You're gonna do what you're gonna do. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Yep. 
Um, you talk, you touched on Tony Isabella a couple times. I want to know because, as like he's the creator of this character you're currently working on, so obviously like his opinion holds some weight, right? How much did like his outpouring like in- influence or affect your run with Black Lightning? Like, is that oh. is that like a constant voice in the back of your head? Like, man, this Tony Isabella man don't like what I do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how no. how is that get to you? No, listen, you know, like. I, I grew up during the era of 90s hip hop, right? right? So if someone isn't on the corner saying you're whack, then you're not rapping. Right. <laughs> you ain't doing it right. You know, like, if you don't have a hater, you ain't rapping. You know, if everyone is like, oh man, he's hot, I'm like, yo, he's garbage. I want to <laughs> I want to talk to haters, right? Right. You know, you're not you're not really Jay-Z until Ether comes out. Then you Jay-Z. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like Ether makes you Jay-Z, right? So so part of it, um, you know, you just kind of, I don't really engage it. The, uh, I only really pay attention to things when people who are readers of mine will tell me like, hey man, you know, have you seen this? Have you seen that? You know, and then I feel like, oh, let me, let me look at it. So I'm not ignorant to, to what's being said. Mm-hmm. And with Tony, honestly, my main thing was Tony had used some choice words that in the culture we have taken out of context could create real problems for him. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to jump in that and be like, okay, because I saw some and I saw some 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 stuff headed that direction. Right. And some of it seemed like people that were fans of mine or or you know they talked to me online or or, or you know something like that. And they were sort of putting me up against him and then using some of the words he said to, to say like, well, Tony might be like this or he might be like that. So I really interjected to kind of calm all that down, right. you know, mm-hmm. because that's not, you know, we're not going to do that. Right. Like Tony's a good guy. He's a good guy. Like, I don't know him at all, really. Um, but from everyone I know who's mutual, we have mutual friends. Right. And they say he's a solid guy. So at first I just want to get in there and be like, we're not going to call Tony Isabella a racist. How about that? Let's let's get away from that. Mm-hmm. Right. I know he's using, you know, inflammatory words, but let's not just like throw labels around. And that's really why I first engaged it. And then I sort of looked at some of the commentary and, and saw a little bit of it. Um, but I didn't really keep it too much in mind because you can't, you know? Like, yeah. there's always going to be somebody mad at you because of something you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you start letting that live in your head, then it's going to get in the way of the work, which is going to make the experience for the people that are reading the book worse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now if I see something in anything, um, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting idea to explore. So, so you know, when he was talking about, you know, kind of Jefferson and him being subservient to Bruce and 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 all of that, I was like, ooh, let me let me let me shine a light on that. And he yeah. wasn't the only person that had been saying something like that, you know. So I'm like, well, let me let me table it, but let me table it through my prism uh, and really engage it. Um, not to have a conversation with the criticism, but to engage the criticism in the fiction in a way that I thought made the story better, right? Mm-hmm. So, so that's really how I, I look at things. I, you know, I've never had anything against uh, against Tony. I, you know, again, I barely spoken to him, right? So I can't say he's a friend of mine, but uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for him and, and his work. And without his work, I wouldn't have been writing Batman and the Outsiders because there'd be no outsiders to write, right? right. So, um, yeah, it's all it's all love from like my end. But in general, yeah, I just don't, you, you can't, you just can't let that stuff like seep into you, you know, like eventually you got to get into the booth, you got to hop on the mic and you can't think about that person who thinks you're whack. 
You know, like you gotta just you guys just spit, just spit. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like what can you do? You can't like dwell on it, like you know. I mean, you can if you like M, right? Yeah. Like, and then, like you know, and then, yeah, and that's another look. Another way you can go is you can just aim war at somebody, and then you know I'm gonna name a character Tony, and then I'm gonna have Black Lightning set him on fire, and I'm yeah. like, that's, <laughs> that's you, you know? Right, right. Like, it could be like that, but. You know, I, I don't know, man. I think I'm out of my Eminem phase, you know. Right. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when it's in the mind, it's in the Now we, you know, yeah. we're not, not going to go in there and throw throw uh, throw bars like that at people. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and that was, that's, I mean, I don't really, I, I don't, to be honest, I've never really engaged the totality of uh, what he's been saying. Um, but, uh you know, ultimately, I think I served the character well, and I think I left him in a better place than I found him, uh, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the job, right? Yeah. And then, you know, if I'm the next guy that works on him, or there's another guy that works on him, or another lady that works on him, or what have you, then hopefully, you know, she leaves the place better than she found it, right? I mean, that's right. kind of the job of writing comic book characters you don't own, um, mm-hmm. is, is, you know, like, play with them, see what you can add to them, and hopefully you make it easier for the next person to be able to add on to what you did. That's yeah, so all you can really do, ultimately. Um, <laughs> the last question I got is about Dwayne McDuffie, the legend of Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah. So so I got I to preface the statement by saying around the time of his passing, like last year, like the anniversary of his death last year, Gail Simone like, had this whole tweet thread about him. And the tweet thread, she was talking about how Despite how legendary he was, and like not, we didn't like regard him as a legend. Like after he died, like we were talking about how great Dwayne McDuffie was with like years before he passed, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how, despite how talented he was and how many times he approved it over, she had seen less credible and less journeyed writers get opportunities over him time and time again. You know, Dwayne McDuffie only got a Justice League book, I want to say, around Final Crisis, if I'm not mistaken. Um, she had seen characters like herself um, and others get the book way before earlier in their careers than he did. Can you say, like, his experience is, like, kind of comparable to yours? Like, do you also feel like sometimes, like, make, like damn, why, why I'm putting out, you know, the, the greatest shit possible here. Why can't, why am I not in this spot? You know what I'm saying? Hmm, okay, so we're in the in the real talk section of the podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. So to engage kind of all that, um, look, just unequivocally, if you are a – and I can only speak to kind of being a, a black male writer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not a black female writer. I'm not an Asian-American writer. You know, I can only speak to my experience. But I will say that black men are generally perceived – as having less intelligence. Writing is generally perceived as an intellectual pursuit. So as a black writer, you are going to have to work harder to get your mind taken seriously. Mm -hmm. That's a fact, right? Um, You know, it's, we're, we're not given that kind of automatic benefit of the doubt, right? Like we have to be like, you know, James Baldwin or something, you know, like, mm. uh, to, to get, I think, you know, kind of decent recognition in a way, not that I'm James Baldwin, but I mean, like we are dealing with these cultural assumptions, uh, and you are dealing with some stereotypes. Now being said, you can't let that stop you really, you know, you just have to sort of factor in 
um, that it's going to take a little more and then just give it a little more. That's kind of my philosophy, right? Now, I can't speak specifically to what Gail said because I, I wasn't there, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't know the circumstances of why Dwayne, you know, uh, why he got these opportunities and didn't get these other ones. And, you know, and I was, you know, like in high school when Gail was writing comic books, uh, you know, kind of during this period. So I certainly can't speak to, um, you know, the accuracy of, of what she's saying, but I will take her word for it because, you know, Gail seems honest above all. Right. So she's very transparent. Um, I don't know. I mean, that is to be honest, it just seems like that's kind of the way it works, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, you just have to do the best you can to remain calm and not internalize that. You know, I mean, the hardest thing to do is to push through those adversities without internalizing it and becoming bitter. Uh, and then letting that bitterness creep into your work. Right. <laughs> and I think we've all known those dudes who are like super talented writers, but they're writing at the people that they perceive as being in their way. Exactly. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. their work is reduced because of that, right? It's, you know, it's sort of like my Zen philosophy, never define yourself by your opponent because mm-hmm. then you're giving your opponent too much power. Yeah. Right. Like you have to be more than just in opposition to something else. You, you cannot define yourself by the judgments and scorn of other people. Um, you need a separate identity that is your own identity outside of that. And that's what you fight for. And you may fight against those people and those thoughts, but that's not the reason you wake up, right? The reason you wake up is to create, not to destroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's likely true uh, that, you know, the twice as good, half as much thing that we talk about, you know, in mm-hmm. hushed tones. Um, well, not not as hushed now because Shonda put in an episode of uh, uh, Scandal. Scandal. Yeah, she made but, it hot. <laughs> you know, she didn't make it hot, right? I think everyone who was watching Joel Morton say that was like, okay, I feel seen right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't appreciate, you know, uh, Shonda reaching back into my memory like that without yeah, my permission. I, I was triggered. <laughs> <laughs> we were all unilaterally triggered by Scandal. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's, that is, that is part of it. Right. Um, I can't perceive what opportunities I did or did not get, uh, because I was black. Right. Like, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'll just be totally honest. Uh, I have never written Batman outside of black lightning being in the story. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I'm not sure DC comics would trust me to just write a Batman story. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm not nothing, nothing that they said. They didn't say anything. Like I'm not going off of a memory. There's no like dirty email I'm holding. Well, no, (laughs) look at the circumstances and you're like, well, you know, um, black lightning was in the book. So Batman kind of came along with it. Um, now I do think I've demonstrated that I can write Batman, but I, am I certain that they thought I could going into it? I don't know. You know, I I don't know. Right. Um, would I have gotten the opportunity to write Batman without black lightning? Probably not. I would say, honestly, probably not. Um, uh, cause how many, how many black men have written Batman? Great question. Uh, yeah, it's a great question. <laughs> right? Right? Like, not a lot. Like, Priest, 
Um, uh, Dwayne McDuffie. Dwayne. Yeah. Right? And, and look, if you're having a conversation about comic book writers and you're talking about Christopher Priest and Dwayne McDuffie, Brian <laughs> Hill not be in that conversation. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you know, my favorite rappers, man, probably like, you know, Rakim, Jay, Kane, and, and Pookie. Yeah. And you're like, Pookie? Yeah, you know, Pookie. No, we don't know Pookie. No, we at, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> in this hypothetical, I'm Pookie. <laughs> So you shouldn't be talking about Dwayne McDuffie and Christopher Priest and Pookie. That's <laughs> you know, crazy. But even then, you look how how high they had to reach to get those, just to get that opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. so You're talking about two of the top guys. Yeah. So you know, I mean, we still have a little bit of path to travel. I think. You know, it it honestly, fellas, like when I see these, you know, um, every February the lists come out. You know, black writers in comics or best black writers in comics. And because there's just not that many of us, I see myself show up on lists I should not be on. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm only here because there's not, we don't even have a basketball team. Right. <laughs> we got like two point guards and a big guy. That's it. Guys <laughs> right? playing so, pickup. Playing pickup. You know what I mean? Two um, point guards and three big mans. Hey, yeah, big yeah, man. That's it. Right. So there's. I do think that there's um, a lot of ground uh, to cover there, you know? And I mean, I can imagine back then in the time that Gail was speaking um, of in, in that tweet thread. Yeah, it was, you know, it was probably tricky. I mean, one of the things that, and, you know, now I'm just being extra real now, but um, when you're a black writer, one of the things that people won't assume is that you can write outside of the black experience. Yeah. Which is really funny because, most of what we ingest is, at least traditionally, was pretty white stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, most most brothers who want to write sitcoms can write an episode of Friends. They might not want to watch Friends, but they can write one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> just, that, that was it. That's what we had. You know, we had Cheers. We had Friends. Like, that was what, you know. So it's it's not a mystery to us. Um how to do you know that kind of kind of that kind of stuff, right? So, um, but I think because we are often a mystery to uh, you know non-black people that might be in hiring positions, that might seemingly be be like a mutual thing, you know, like oh well, I don't know, can they write Green Lantern? I mean, you know, Hal Jordan, you know, can they write Barry Allen? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think it's just this idea that we just don't have the same wide range of interests. Now I do think that the social media generation has helped greatly in revealing that there's a lot of diversity of thought in our community. Right. You know, we are interested in, in different things. And, um, you know, like when I was working on Michael Cray and I have a version of John Constantine in that, in that book I was doing with Steve Harris. Fire book, by the way, y'all should go check that out. It's on DC universe. Continue. Yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah, it's you know it's it's a it's a like a twelve issue uh, maxi series. Um, but I was really happy to be able to write Constantine because it's just the kind of thing that like you might not look at me and assume that I'd be interested in doing that. You know, I, I I've done him in a short story, uh, and uh, I was proud of that work because it was outside of the sphere of assumption, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a this is a long winded way to say that. I'm not sure if it's 
the hard racism of don't sit at my counter, darky. You know, mm. this isn't your water fountain racism. Right. As much as it is the the headwind of cultural perception, right? Mm-hmm. And the feeling like, oh, well, when it's February and we want to do an issue-laden Superman book, we'll get a black writer. Right, right, right. <laughs> but if you just want to tell the story about Superman and Lex Luthor, right, disconnected from the American racial diaspora, like, are you, you know, is there... There might just be like a, are you interested in this? We don't know. Can you do this? We don't know, right? So right. Um, so I, th- I think it's a combination of we always have to fight to get our intelligence recognized. We are not assumed to be thoughtful. That's just a fact. Yeah, America. flat out. Uh, combined with a lot of hiring and entertainment is based on precedent. And if you don't have a precedent that makes you safe then you are a risky choice to hire. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that keeps a lot of opportunities away from people because it's easy to point to, Oh, so-and-so did it. And you're like, so-and-so. Well, there's a lot of so-and-sos that look like Scott and Tom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Not a lot of so-and-sos that look like Brian Hill. And I'm not even, you know, high on the radar of things. Right. Like, you know, like you're only now getting people like David Walker, you know, um, uh, in this sort of iteration of it since like, you know, uh, Dwayne passed and all that. So we still have a lot of precedent. And I think a lot of it has to do with people wanting to, you know, be risk averse and, yeah. and avoiding the unknown. Right. So that's why I tell writers of color, creators of color, artists of color, that the best way you can facilitate your career specifically is by creating a lot of things and sharing them. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't wait for a boardroom to approve you being able to work on a thing, you're going to have to do it a little bit and you're going to have to share it so people can see it because you may have to set your own precedent. Yeah. You got to be set your own standard at that point. Yeah. I think so. I think so. You know, um, like, you know, you know, people go to my Instagram, they see like my portrait photography, they see some other stuff. Right. Um, but I have to do those things, demonstrate them. So people know I have the ability to do them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I think that just comes with cultural assumptions that we have to kind of uh, expand, you know, not shatter necessarily, but expand uh, and um, and demonstrate our interests and our pursuit of excellence in those interests uh, more and more. Um, and that might be something of an extra burden, but it's uh, surmountable, right? And ultimately, yeah. it's going to make you better. Mm-hmm. So um, that's kind of what I what I chalk it up to. Oh man, that was an incredible answer. Yeah, I, good stuff. I don't, man. Know, I don't know what I was expecting, but it blew that shit way out of the water. You know, what I'm well, no one yeah. ever asked me, man. Like, I try to keep it real. Like, you know, yeah. um, so I will answer things honestly. If I mean, it, not Titan season three because you know I like my job. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> when it comes to like me and my personal viewpoint and my experience in comedy, like, I'll answer anything, man. Because right. I, it's it's because I know that there are, anyone who is listening to this is probably. Um, interested in creating at some point, right? Yeah. Whether an artist or a writer or what have you. And I am not on the Richter scale, really. But I have a little bit of experience and a little bit of a platform and a little bit of a pedigree. Um, so it's very important to me that when someone listens to me speak about something, they realize that, like, oh, he's he's being honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, 
this is the, he's telling the truth, right? Rather than sort of be like, yeah, what you do? I mean, that was just like in New York, man. And yeah. then I like <laughs> anybody can do it. No, that's yeah. that's nonsense. That's, that's not, not the reality. That, right? <laughs> that's not how that works. And and so I try to shatter the myth of things and demystify them. And so like, no, no, it sucked. It sucked for a long time and mm-hmm. kind of still sucks, but it won't kill you. I think people appreciate that though, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I try to be uh, that way. Uh, um, I think that's all we got, man, right? Yeah, man. Pre- uh, Brian, appreciate you, man. Well, thanks for having me on, man. Um, I'm always happy to do it. Uh, Yo, you know, thank broadcasting you. from Los Angeles with yeah. the truth, with the real. With the realness. <laughs> Yo, like, right. how, like, like, how are you holding up with the wildfires, man? Like, how's the smoke out there? Oh, I'm in downtown LA, man. So, um, you know, like, we could smell it. Like, uh, I woke up the other day and uh, my apartment kind of smelled like it was burning, right? Like, it sort of smelled like like a fireplace. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And my fireplace wasn't going. So it was the state that was a giant fireplace. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, California is a, California is like a country. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a different place, man. State, but it's like the seventh largest economy in the world. You know, it's crazy. It's like the Twilight Zone. What's that? It's kind of like the Twilight Zone. Like it's its own place. It totally is. I mean, when I go back to Missouri, um, you know, for like the holidays uh, to visit family or what have you, it feels like I'm. I, I need a passport. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's a different country, right? Yeah, I mean, they speak man. English, but it is a different country, and uh, so. We're so big, um, but a lot of the outskirt places in, in Long not outskirt places, but the suburban places, uh, they're getting kind of the worst of it because I'm in the dense metropolitan place. Um, it's It hasn't really affected my, my personal air quality too, too much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this happens. Like every couple of years, California just tries to kill everybody. Yeah, you know? I see, man. <laughs> Fires and, you know, I mean... It, it reminds you that California was a desert with some mountains that people decided to put human beings in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and occasionally nature reasserts herself <laughs> and is like, I don't think I want you here. I know what you really are. <laughs> yeah, I know what you really are, right? Uh, but yeah, my heart goes out to people that have, you know, lost, um, you know, loved ones in all this and, and, you know, not to mention the economic kind of hardship of it in the in their belongings and just the general sort of terror of all of it but uh but yeah no it hasn't it hasn't um you know affected me uh too much uh um you know knock on wood because of that uh but yeah it is you know it is a thing in a world of mounting things yeah um man you got your koofy ready yeah man yo let's put it on put on my uh koofy put on your dashikis We'll jump into my soapbox this week, man. So, Brian, if you have listened to the show before, we do this segment every week called Van Soapbox. Van's pretty much just gives his weekly uh, recommendations to the people. So, if you got anything to add, feel free to jump in. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yo, we got Brian on the show. Yo, catch up on Batman and the Outsiders, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Batman getting sunned. Rage out ghouls out here wilding. It's great. Yeah, you know, you want, you want to pick that one up. You know what I mean? It's, it's cool. It's cool. It's, 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 it's cool, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, that's it on the uh, comic side. TV side, uh, Doom Patrol. Doom Patrol season one. Season one. Watch season one of Doom Patrol. Both seasons on HBO Max. You know, I got that. So go check that out. Yep. 
Got anything X you wanna wanna throw in here? Uh, you know what? I ran it back because we did a special episode of Big Eyes. So go run back Young Justice season one. Why yeah. not? That, that that pack, man. It's like that show is really fucking great. And like, yeah, it's man. not a kid show. Like, there's an episode when everybody dies horrific, violent deaths, and we just keep moving. Like, I think that show was ahead of its time. To be honest with you, low key. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, man, go check out Young Justice season one. Brian, you got anything to add, man? Um, let me think. You know. I'm, I'm going to do a shout out to uh, a couple of YouTubes that I, okay. that I follow. All right. uh, one by my man, uh, Cecil Trattenberg. Uh, it's called Good Bad Flicks. Right. And he just he's a just a genius when it comes to unearthing the weirdest low budget 80 genre movies you've ever seen. And if you are into just like matchstick and bubblegum film storytelling... <laughs> Like we don't have enough money to eat, but we're gonna make something in space. Oh, my favorite. My favorite. <laughs> no, like, we sandwiches, but we're gonna make this space movie. We're gonna go. make this time machine, yeah. We're gonna make this time machine. Go. We're gonna make this martial arts movie with no one who actually knows martial arts, but it's cool. <laughs> um, so he has a, th- that is like my favorite YouTube channel at the moment because uh, I just put that on, man, and you know, make a little cocktail and go to a happy place. Uh, right. <laughs> so I dig, I dig the hell out of some good bad flicks. So that's gonna be my thing: is go to YouTube, subscribe to Good Bad Flicks, watch the 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 crazy eighty genre movies that inspire you to make your own crazy stories, and then buy yourself a Ferrari. Yeah, do that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the goal. All right, man. X, let's get up out of here, man. All right, man, go ahead check out Big Eyes and First Responders that dropped Monday this week. It's My Hero Week, so y'all know you got to check it out. Go, yay. Real special attention on Friday, man. Oh, That's man, a classic. Classic's on the way. Um, <laughs> look at RSPN and A Show coming this week. Late Fees, War Report, and The Rewired Room. Y'all know y'all got to check out RNC. Everything, all this, only RNC Radio Live. That's all we got, man. Thank you once again to Brian Hill, the guy with us, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir.